back to the High Impact Physician Podcast. Today's episode, Sandy and Dr. Mark Greenwald from the Carilion Clinic are continuing a conversation. This is part three. Today, they're going to be focusing on how can we calibrate our communication styles to get the most out of our team, as well as some clarity on the topic of burnout in terms of who's responsible for addressing it and why isolation and loneliness need to be a larger part of the conversation. I really hope you get some value out of today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Okay, so I have to ask then, in the spirit of vulnerability, um, what's some kind of feedback or maybe blind spot that you had earlier in your career that surprised you? So what surprised me was not that I had it, but the impact that it had on other people. So, so we, one of the, one of the instruments we work with in our own organization and I've worked with for a long time is the disc profile and, uh, which is a personality preferences profile. And, and my, my own personality tends to be rather assertive uh, through that profile. I have a high, what's called D and a high I and, what and so what what that can mean is that in a conversation i'm very comfortable being outspoken and and what i'd never realized and this actually this actually in many ways i I like to say those things that have allowed me to stay married for 32 years to a to a saint of a wife um but one of one of the early lessons that was very helpful for me my wife is the complete opposite in in the context of this instrument and a lot of times even when i thought i was toning something down for somebody who lived at the opposite end of the spectrum, I was a steamroller. Mm. And so I would think I'm just, I'm just sharing my opinion. And other people would say, my gosh, you know, you're taking up all the oxygen in the room, not just because you're talking, but because the energy that you're emitting, you don't even have to say a word. And the energy that you, that you emit can change the temperature of a room. I had no idea. I literally had no idea. And so even, even the times that I thought I was toning it down, it wasn't enough. So it really took me a lot of practice and a lot of feedback to say, okay, tell me how that played. And, you know, to the, to the point where I thought I was being meek and somebody would say, yeah, that's about right. Um, so I just, I just had, I just had to learn my calibration um, that, you know, that, that intensity while served me very well in many capacities um, can also be incredibly off-putting and in many ways can shut other people down. And again, in, 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 in situations where you don't want that to happen, or you need people to be able to speak up. And if they're, if for whatever reason they hesitate to do so, that's to the detriment of the whole team. And so really had to learn what that looked like for me and, and, and really learning how to calibrate it. So I can now, if I say, if I want to be intense, I can do it, but I'm doing it deliberately and consciously not out of control. And that I think was the distinction. Sometimes I would just get passionate, but it would be out of control passion. Now it's definitely focused and conscious passion, and it's still passion, uh, and and yet it, it how it plays is completely different. Well, and I'm so appreciating your natural way of um, acknowledging how when we grow from the inside out, it helps us to be more effective as leaders, as husbands, as wives, and as people. And that just really speaks to the power of um, whether it's well-being or resiliency or leadership. Um, but when we really develop from the inside out, how it can impact our world in so many ways. 
Oh, absolutely. And that would add as a parent, which was a key one for me. <laughs> very, very yeah. important. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, good. So as I'm listening to you, I'm struck by how you've been a physician through different chapters. I'd love to hear you talk to us a bit about the culture of medicine, meaning how you might describe it in the past, the present, and the future generation of physician leaders. Yeah. So the culture of medicine, I, I finished my training in 1990, I finished my residency in 1990. And so the, the culture of medicine then was really pre-managed care. So my father, who's a family physician, retired after 40 years of practice. Other than the last probably three years of his practice, life was pretty much the same for him. That, that, that medicine had been pretty predictable. Yeah, there had been some changes that have happened, but but if you traced his history, he could he could pretty much look into the future and say, I know how medicine is going to be five years from now. Mm-hmm. That certainly has changed during my during my time as a practicing clinician. Um, you know, I've never truly have never worked in what I would consider to be a functional system. Um, you know, if we talk about a healthy healthcare system, if we want to call it that. And it's interesting because I, one of the things that I like to talk about with clinicians who are struggling, particularly with this thing we call burnout or distress, however you would want to describe it, is that a lot of them say, quit trying to fix me, fix the system. The system's broken. I'm not broken. If you would just fix the system and leave me alone, everything would be fine. And, and my response to them is I appreciate the sentiment and I wish I could wave my magic wand and do that. But again, I've worked now in healthcare for a quarter of a century and I've never worked in a what I would consider a healthy system. So if we're, if we're basing our own well-being on a system being fixed, we're basically relegating ourselves to, to misery until we retire. Because that's the world we live in right now. Is it is it, it's 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 in great upheaval at the moment, and some of that's good, some of it's not good. So what I like to say to them is, we're not here to fix you. We are here to help you, um, because we don't want anybody to be in the midst of this dizzying change that's happening. We don't want anybody to be in such distress that that it's impacting all facets of their lives. So we so we right now are in that space, Sandy, as you know that that change is 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 truly dizzying. You know, I remember in in the, in the early two and mid two thousands when we started talking about in primary care the patient centered medical home, and this was supposed to be the big innovation of this generation. Like we were going to revamp mm-hmm. how we how we delivered primary care, and this was kind of the new science of the provision of ambulatory medicine. Well, I mean, we're already in many ways kind of past that. You know, so that it didn't come and it come and gone. We built on it, but. But truly, that was just another phase in in this process of change. And so I think, you know, where we are right now is trying to figure out how do we deal with this pace of change while many of us are tempted to just to say, leave me alone and just let me practice. But that's not going to happen. And, and if, you know, that, that may happen for very few. But for most of us, if we, if we take that posture, we're going to be left in the dust. Uh, the world right. will pass us by. And so so I think as we look in, so that's the now. So the leader now, you know, we talk a lot about things like, you know, change leadership. How do we help people adapt while still staying anchored? And I think this is really important. One of the things that my mentors really drilled into me was let the change, you know, help help to lead the change, but still anchor on to those qualities that we believe are essential. 
whatever those qualities are, don't lose them in the process. And, and I would think that one of those certainly is patient-centeredness in terms of our care. And yet, in many ways, I, I do feel like we've lost some of that along the way, certainly as a, as a, as a primary care clinician uh, who relationships are the center of what I do. In many ways, our society doesn't value that as much. And so even having to adapt to that and say, what does that look like in the context of, of, of more of a consumer-driven healthcare environment uh, when, when I'm looked upon as a commodity rather than a relationship over time? So as we go into the future, I think that we're going to continue to evolve that piece. We as a healthcare culture are going to have to figure out how do we incorporate both the change and the innovation. Uh, the, certainly the technology innovations are also dizzying. Um, some of them are great. Some of them, you know, we struggle with. The electronic health record is a great example in my own organization, and I know in the, around the, the country that the, the idea is a good one. The reality hasn't hasn't caught up with the idea yet, and so it's becoming something that actually is is being attributed as one of the components of causing distress and burnout, rather than doing what it was supposed to do, which is to help support and and both clinical care and quality of care. And so, you know, we as leaders need to be in the front edge of trying to figure that out uh, and, and, and straddling between the world of administrators that are pushing us into the future and saying, we got to get there and we got to get there now with clinicians who are just fried right, even right now with a pace of change. And, and that's something that I think we all need to both grapple with and talk about honestly. Um, that's something that I really respect, particularly in my own department, that we've been very honest about saying, how do we, this is hard. You know, the practice of medicine at baseline is hard. Uh, and it's very, it takes an emotional toll. Now we have all these other things going on. How do we do this in a way that is both honorable to the patient, but also honorable to those people who are providing the care? Yeah, I think this is a passion you and I have in common because um, my hope is that the work a lot of us are doing together is to create this space or this invitation that supports physicians to lead us forward. When I talk with physicians, maybe like yourself, who you know were trained back in the 1990s, I don't. It doesn't seem like physician leadership was um, was really on people's radar. And it seems to me now that that's one of the ways we can be framing up physician leadership opportunities is to give people the skills and the tools to um, support them to help create the future, whether it's yes. with administrators or other kinds of people. But the future doesn't exist. So imagine if we give the skill set and the mindset to this amazingly talented group of people and then have them help us map this path forward. Yes. And, and, and I think those of us with more gray hair, I would include myself in that category. <laughs> I think part of our responsibility is to make sure that we, we, do, we do help to anchor those changes within the vision for healthcare in general, which is still about people. And, yes. and often technology can get in the way of that. Um, margins can get in the way of that. And, and so I think that, that, that there's a, there's, you, know, you think about synchronicity and in, in this case, more symbiosis, tapping into that young energy and vision combined with making sure that we don't lose touch with why we're doing this in the first place. Um, I think is is a formula for incredible success in the future, and I I tend to be one who's definitely an optimist when it comes to that. You know, growing pains are different than throwing up our hands in in, in dismay, and and I think we're we're just going through growing pains right now, and some of them are are quite painful. 
but I think that it's to a better end because I don't, I, you know, I'm one who doesn't fantasize about the past, Sandy. I think about, you know, in the 1990s when, when really even during my residency in the late 80s, when, when the first quality initiatives started coming out and some of the first data, they had the Canadian Task Force, which was the first group that really started coming out with guidelines and quality data. And I can remember the reaction of physicians at that time were basically to dismiss the data and say it's wrong. Like there's no way my something as simple as my pediatric immunization rate is that poor. And, and yet I remember the, you know, the answer was, yeah, it probably was. Um, but we, we, we so believed that we were, were providing great care that we couldn't, just because our intentions were good, we couldn't imagine that the outcome was any different than that. And yet the data showed that it wasn't great. So I love that we have more accountability for our outcomes. I think that's really, to me, that's life-giving. So I can be confident that I'm providing patients good care. However, that can come as a, at a cost too, if we focus just on that and, and forget about the fact that we are dealing with, with not just even, not just even populations. I'm dealing with an individual human being in often in an exam room, um, many of whom are really quite petrified that something terrible is going to happen that will change the course of their life. And, uh, and how do I, how do I, how do I be present in the midst of that? Even as I'm thinking about these bigger loftier things about how do we take care of populations and change the course of, 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 of public health. And, and that to me is, is the dance that we all have to, to be part of. Yeah. I'm, I'm, um, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm recalling a recent um, conversation I heard about uh, a coach who works with top performing athletes. And one of the things she talked about is what she's seeing with her population is how many um, athletes, top performing athletes are getting a lot of anxiety. And mm -hmm. she really feels like what it goes back to is really running the fundamentals, building the skills and reconnecting to relationships, whether it's with self yes. or people on your team or people you're serving. And that strikes me as a metaphor in medicine too. How do we give ourselves permission to really stay connected to the skill sets and the heart, the relationships, and keep figuring out what to say no to, what's all the noise in between, so we can reconnect to the, the relationships, that, which is what leadership is about, and yes. the skills that we need to build the future of healthcare. And, and one of the things I worry about with that in the context of physicians, both physician practicing physicians and physician leaders, is that one of the things that we've carved out is indeed those relationships with our colleagues. That I think a lot of physicians are feeling more isolated than ever. A lot of leaders are feeling more isolated than ever. Uh, you know, I think about some of my 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 colleagues who mostly practice clinical medicine, even if they may have a, a, a kind of a smaller carved out role for leadership. And, and they're just kind of, they put their heads down and they get through the day and they may have, they may be having colleagues all around them, but they're practicing like parallel private corporations and they don't connect. And to me, this work is both too important. And as I shared earlier, takes too much of a toll to not have somebody else who we're traveling with on that journey. And somebody, yeah, I'm, so and in this case, I'm, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So I was going to say, so let's, let's jump into that, because I know you've been doing some work around getting really deliberate about how to strengthen those peer-to-peer -peer connections. Talk to us about what you're noticing or doing in that space. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of people are talking about this now, and the term that's being used, and actually our, our former Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, talked about this, and as he, as he left his post, has actually devoted some of his time since then to this concept of loneliness as being a huge issue right now, in, in many ways an epidemic. 
you enjoyed today's episode, you're definitely going to enjoy part four, the final part of Sandy and Dr. Mark Greenwald's conversation. In this last part, they're going to be talking about the cost of not connecting with peers and two really important types of peer support that are out there and critical for physicians. And Mark really brings it home here with a beautiful message that he has for the world. So you're definitely going to want to check out part four. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day.